is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. At tonight's Locust Fork High School football game, there won't be a student-led prayer over the loudspeaker. The Blunt County School Superintendent called Tuesday when he announced the end of the tradition, one of the saddest days of his career. Some of the fans at the game here tonight plan to use that moment of silence to recite the Lord's Prayer together. I'm not an advocate for this nomination. I would not have nominated Kavanaugh. So this is for me not about whether my choice gets on the Supreme Court. It's about whether the process of confirmation is forever destroyed, and it's in the process of being destroyed. I I think this will be one of the most impactful things he does. The president has had an incredibly successful uh, first two years in office. He is doing one thing after the next that he promised to do on the campaign. And what you're going to see take place this weekend is another fulfillment of the president's promise to the American people. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. (laughs) So good to be with you. I'm just laughing a little bit because our two baby, I'm still on the radio. Yeah. And we have another jam packed, wonderful hour for you right here. It is going to be, we're going to be weaving in and out of this subject. I'm also a little giddy because it was such good news, such good news that we had this wonderful, just absolutely fantastic good news about Susan Collins. Uh, she's been under a lot of pressure. Over 3,000 coat hangers mailed to her office. You know, this this was not easy for her to stand in the face of, of that kind of opposition. But I feel she made the right decision. Obviously, I've made my position clear. So uh, good news. That is wonderful news. Um, we have Nancy Flory, who's the associate editor at The Stream. She's going to be on with us talking about this Alabama school district sacking prayer at their football games. And how parents fought back. And this is instructive for us. As Christians, we often, I hear people say it. I've even caught myself saying it a few times. And it's it's something we want to beat out of ourselves, which is, well, there's just nothing we can do. Or, you know, we just, we're losing on that. We lost on that. We don't lose in Christ. We may have setbacks. We may have, uh, you know, momentary failures. We may even have huge valleys that we find ourselves stuck in. But we're not going down we're fighting and we have a purpose and we have and God has a plan and we're walking that out so as bleak as it may look we but but onward we carry we go forward so right now before we jump into um some of the I have a little bit more audio for you it's just it's we got so much going on here um let's go to the phones we have Kevin in Indiana Kevin thank you so much for coming on the show today well thank you for having me sure um, I, well, um, I just got one question, but, uh, which I haven't heard anybody answer, and I have asked it several times. Why is it that a woman who lives in California who says that she's terrified of flying vacations in Delaware? Well, she says her family lives there, and I guess they had a place, and that's where she would go. And Look, none of it makes sense. Honestly, it does not make sense. But that's part of the reason why so many Americans, when you just, when you, if you, if you just take the partisanship out of it, Kevin, and you just say, what did she say? Okay. So even take out my, my observations about her glasses and her hair and the tiny voice she was using, take all that out of it. Just go with what she said. If you just had transcripts and you just read what she said, you would see that she repeatedly said before she even got there, that she was so afraid of flying, she might drive cross country. So she said so many different things about how it just was going to be such a hardship for her to get there. Yet her attorneys, who knew she had this fear of flying, never told her that the Senate was willing to send people out to interview her. They were willing to fly themselves out to interview her. I mean, senators fly all over the country as it is. They're constantly traveling. So it had been no big deal for them to come out. The, it doesn't make sense. The things she said before, her written testimony that she submitted in the form of those letters and everything, none of it adds up. And, and you're right. No one asked her about that. That's what's so annoying. Um, it's just, it's ridiculous. But thank you so much for calling and making that point. You, you're right on the money. Let's go to Sheila in North Carolina. Um, thank you so much for calling the show. I sometimes get a little ahead of what the buttons are showing me on the screen. I think she's going to be ready in just a second here. Um, we also have, we're going to talk about Rona 
McDaniels. She's the chair of the RNC. And she's really got some interesting um, kind of, she's got a little slogan that she's coined, results from Republicans, resistance from Democrats. It's actually uh, really fantastic. Um, oh. <laughs> so when, let's, let's go to that. We have number four, it's Rona McDaniel. She's the RNC chair. I think the Kavanaugh hearings have energized our base. It has highlighted the obstructive nature of the Democrats. They only want to come to Washington to stop this president, resist, mm -hmm. obstruct, delay, divide, dysfunction. Republicans are delivering on results. We have uh, kick-started our economy. Jobs are coming back. Wages are up. People are feeling better. Their lives are better. So it is a really clear choice. Do you want results from Republicans or resistance from Democrats? And I think voters are going to pick results every time. And I hope so. But we there are a lot of things that make people vote. And I know there's a lot of um, a, a discussion when we talk about voting about the air war, quote unquote. There's this, you know, the ads that people run and how the Democrats are spending so much money on ads right now. They're spending a ton of money on campaigning on all of it. And what I think is interesting about that is. Uh, there there have been lots of like kind of look backs and, and pollsters have looked and people have asked exit polls and things like that and said, did you see commercials that changed your mind? I'm not one of those people who I see a commercial and I change my mind about who I'm going to vote for. I already know. But for undecideds, are those commercials impactful? Um, a lot of people pointed to the work that the Obama administration did uh, when they were campaigning that second go round where they were micro targeting voters and kind of sending messages that were specifically tailored to what they felt those voters cared about based on their activity on online social media. That's interesting as well. I still think retail politics where you just knock on people's doors and convince them face to face is the most effective method, but it's also the most time consuming and costly. So uh, let's go to Tim in Kansas. Thank you so much, Tim, for calling the show today. Uh-oh. Hello, Turned... Stacy. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for calling the show. Yeah, Stacy. I was just calling to um, a while back that uh, somebody said asked if uh, if President Trump had um, problems with the media, and I'm thinking that he's getting all kinds of stuff done behind their back. I don't know if I should say this over the air; it'll probably jinx him. But uh, he's getting all kinds of stuff done while they're busy worrying about stuff that they have no control over really means nothing to the American people, in my opinion. So do you think there are any areas where the president could be a better communicator or if, are, there, are there any parts of his communication that kind of annoy you? Like, are you one of those people who cares about the tweets? You don't care about the tweets? No, I'm, I'm, I'm all for law and order. I, um, I'm sorry I'm having a hard time hearing you, but oh. um, in my opinion, a lot of things in some of the things that are wrong in this nation, we don't pledge allegiance to the flag. If we need to, we need to bring that back in school. It's starting in kindergarten. You know, I mean, when I was in school, we stood up every morning and pledged allegiance. Some schools still do that. I mean, I, I think it depends on where you are, what part of the country. The, the more liberal enclaves, they have eliminated that. Um, a lot of schools still do it. I'm, I think it's, it's important. I grew up doing it, but I went to Department of Defense schools, so I was on a military base where when they played taps you know, once a day, everyone stopped what they were doing. People stopped in their cars and got out of their cars and came to attention. So it's, it's a totally different scenario when you're a kid growing up on a military base. The respect for the flag is so much more obvious than it is in civilian life. But we, we have opportunities to get that kind of feeling back and to kind of come together on that. Um, but the media is not, they're not, they're not flag wavers. So they don't, they don't want to see us doing that. Thank you so much, Tim, for calling the show. Um, so I want to listen to Dershowitz raging against the precedent set by Kavanaugh. Um, it's number five. I think the phoniest argument is that they didn't interview her. She was under oath. She testified. FBI background checks don't repeat what has happened previously, the two people who they didn't have to interview were the people who testified. Their job was to find corroboration or lack of corroboration. If she has additional witnesses, she should have them put in statements, sworn statements under oath. Then we can evaluate those. But right now, I think the argument that she wasn't interviewed is an absurd one. What would she do? Change her testimony? She couldn't help herself. She could only hurt herself if she changed her testimony. And that's a point that 
I think has been missed by many, many other people who've been talking about this. And that is that she, so once you've testified under oath, it's not like an FBI investigation where they ask you similar questions is going to elicit more information if the, you've already been asked the relevant questions. In fact, if there was anything that I would have want asked by the FBI to Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, it would be why she went upstairs, why she uh, doesn't remember the name of the person who drove her there or the person who drove her home. Why? What? It's key details that I would say, you know, what I would query her on that. But clearly the FBI didn't feel like they could get anything exculpatory from her. And that's why they didn't interview her again. She'd already testified. In fact, it was her testimony that they used. It's this person, this person, and this person, people she recommended that she wanted to have interviewed by the FBI to bolster her story. It couldn't be any more obvious that this is false and that she's just a, a pawn of the Democrats. And it's not about not believing anything could have happened. It's about the circumstances and you have to be an adult. You have to, you have to be able to say something doesn't smell right. And then instead of smashing that feeling down and using your emotions only, you just move forward and say, look, it's, it's clear that she was motivated about uh, motivated by a desire to stop the nomination. And that in and of itself, without corroborating evidence, blows this entire thing out of the water. Just it completely ends it. Um, so anyway, we, we are going to have Nancy Flory. She's the associate editor at The Stream talking about this Alabama school district. I'm going to tell you there's a few, few elements of this story that I adore. First of all, I love it when parents, taxpayers, stakeholders community members. That's, that's what a parent is. A parent, primarily you're the parent, but you are also a taxpayer. You are also a stakeholder in that community. And if you're not a parent and you're a taxpayer, you're a stakeholder. And then you're really an activist when the activists try to rear themselves up in your kid's school district. As I know, I've talked so much about people pulling their kids out of public school and being very proactive and making sure that if you are unsure of what they're doing in your kid's school district, then pull the kids out. But it occurred to me, you know, the very parents who are more likely to pull their kids out are the same ones who are already extremely active. It's parents who aren't active, who would never, ever pull their kids out of public school. They're the ones who need to be activated and motivated. And one way to do that is the freedom from religion jihadis. They rode into town and tried to tell these people they couldn't have their students. The students were praying. The students were doing the prayer, not the not the parents. They used the loudspeaker so that they could be heard. So it's it's a fantastic story. And I want you to be inspired by this because as a parent or a grandparent, as a taxpayer, if these things are going on in your school district, you need only stand up to put a stop to it. We feel like, well, I'm only one person. No, if you're feeling that way, there have to be other parents who if informed, would feel the same way, or they're feeling just like you feel. I'm only one parent. But together, there's two of you, and each of you has 10 friends. And out of those 10 friends, maybe not everyone comes on board with you, but most will. That's how you get things changed. And when I say changed, I mean changed back to the norm, which is a educational facility, whether it's public school or a home school or a private school, a, a Christian school, they all need to primarily be about the business of educating children, first and foremost. Educating them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that's how you get truly wise children who can really just retain the information and, and are, they, they just have that edge. They have the critical thinking that comes from the wisdom when you memorize scripture and you become wise. That's not just for adults, it's specifically for children so that they're able to withstand in these evil days and see the slings and the arrows that are coming from them. So they're able to be loosed from your arrow and hit their mark for Jesus Christ. But first you have to decide, I'm going to stand up. So we'll hear about that story. Nancy Flora will be with us. She's from the stream. Can't wait to talk to her. We'll be right back with more. Okay, stay there.
Hello, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. For the last two years, we've just had tremendous response, early response to the announcement they were going to Israel on a Holy Land tour. We're going March of this year. We go March of every year. Last year, we filled up like early fall, and I expect us to fill up early fall this year as well. So if you're interested in this March 14th through the 22nd tour, and you'll be going with primarily supporters of AFA and AFR, just get the brochure and check it out. You can call us today at 800-FAMILIES, 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your address, and we'll mail you a brochure. If you simply want to go online, all the information is there. It's at twholyland.com, twholyland.com. If you want to go in March, we're filling up, and we're filling up fast. So check it out, twholyland.com. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Two weeks ago, my commentary was all about good news that is rarely covered by the press since it really isn't considered news. I wanted to come back and talk about some bad news that is also rarely covered by the press because it's too much in the future when the focus on news is what's happening now. Tyler Cohen wrote about what he called the decline and fall of the American empire. He doesn't think that America is falling apart right now, but he does see some ominous trends in the future. I like to think of these as challenges that we and our leaders, both political and spiritual, will need to confront in the future. First, he is rightly concerned about the shrill public debate. We see this in the inability for Congress to pass meaningful legislation to the recent circus atmosphere surrounding the nominee to the Supreme Court. Politics is ugly, and that makes it unlikely that the political sphere will adequately address the nation's pressing problems. A second concern will be federal spending. Aging and entitlements will force the next president, whether Democratic or Republican, to look for a mix of spending cuts and tax increases. The growing national debt will force politicians to cut back on infrastructure maintenance, and he concludes that much of the country will end up looking like, forgive the colloquial phrase, a dump. Advances in technology will also affect everything from our privacy to entertainment. Artificial intelligence and facial surveillance will invade our privacy. High-tech virtual reality will entice many to live in a cyber world where life is easy and everyone is beautiful. And driverless cars will reduce accidents, but they will probably make the roads more crowded. Many believe these trends spell the decline of America. I like to think of these trends as challenges we need to address as we move through the 21st century. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here and for listening to the program. You know, we're uh, moving ever closer to the end of the year where the holiday season will be cranking up. Uh, you know, th- it's it's just, it's a really nice time of year where it's not as hot and it starts to cool down a little bit. And I'm hoping with that cooling down, we see some cooling down politically. It's a fantastic time to do radio because there's never an end of things to discuss. But we do need, you know, ebbs and flows and we need we need to sometimes slow down a little bit. But I think this next story is is like a balm for the soul uh, that can move us into a place where we feel less anxiety and start to realize it's really all in our own hands. You pray and ask the Lord, what should I do? And then you move forward. It's my pleasure to welcome the associate editor at The Stream, Nancy Flory. Thank you so much for joining us today, Nancy. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful that you're writing about this because... We need the encouragement. And I think what these parents did was so natural. And so, I mean, it's inspiring in its simplicity and their reaction. And the other thing for me, Nancy, I love to see people have fun while they smack down evil. If you can smack evil down and have a smile on your face, maybe even while wearing a dress, come on, you're doing it. You're (laughs) doing it. So they're, these people aren't wearing dresses, but they're wearing cute t-shirts that they made. So you, I don't, if I keep talking, you Tell us what this story is about. Okay, well, um, Blount County, I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right, Blount mm. County School District in Alabama um, had had a practice of allowing students to say prayers before um, the football games, 
And um, they recently received a letter from the Freedom from uh, Religion Foundation, or FFRF, and uh, it, that complained about uh, the prayer being said, and it was said over a loudspeaker. Mm. And so because of this letter, because of this complaint letter, um, the uh, school district decided not to allow students to say prayers anymore. And uh, parents kind of, parents and the crowd, uh, a, a lot of Christians in the crowd kind of uh, rose up and said, oh, we're, we'll do something about this. But they did allow, the school district did allow a, a secular moment of silence. So during this moment of silence, um, I guess word had spread, and the crowd began to say the Lord's Prayer. Um, and it was their way of saying, no, you're not going to take my faith away from me. Um, they also, local churches also got together and made T-shirts up. In the, on the front, they say, we believe, and on the back, they have the Lord's Prayer. And so now before games, during that moment of silence, the whole crowd, not just one person, is saying the Lord's Prayer. So two things. First of all, the shirts are cute. I looked on, yeah. you know, you click through the, the link and they've interviewed some of the parents about how they were feeling and what happened. And the shirts that they made, it's not just the Lord's Prayer in some block print. It's like in the shape right. of a cross and it's the Lord's Prayer. The, yeah. the words are there and it and it's like a cool yeah. dark gray shirt with, you know, yeah. different kinds of. I mean, it's it's capitalism. It's <laughs> <laughs> it is really I would actually like to have one for myself. Me too. That's what I was thinking. Okay, so we're together on that. We need the shirt. We need it bad. (laughs) We need Um, the shirt. And so they ran out. They had to go into a second printing. Now there's more than one shirt. So you can get that shirt or you can get a different one. But the other thing I thought was really fascinating is I I know you've you've experienced this. Any Christian has experienced this. It's one thing to say the Lord's Prayer maybe in your head. It's another thing to say it out loud. It is another thing to say it in unison with a group of people. And I find it to be extremely, it's so powerful when I hear a group of men say the Lord's Prayer or a group of children. There's nothing like hearing children recite scripture from memory. I mean, it it brings you straight to the throne. You can hear their little voices reciting, and some of them are so passionate. You can hear them punctuating certain words. And earlier this week, I was with a group of women, and one of the women there said, well, before we get started, I want to, you know, let's join together and say the Lord's Prayer together. We closed our eyes, and we began to speak, and I realized how long it had been since I'd heard just women say it. And so all of our voices sang it in unison. I mean, I just, it was like we instantly were in the right frame of mind. And so I I can only imagine what's going on at a football game with a good good number of people, well over 100, probably a few hundred people taking right. a moment of silence to say the Lord's prayer together. If the freedom from religion jihadis thought they were doing something, they should have just been quiet because it was just one or two teenagers speaking and other people might've been right. talking or checking their phones and not even paying attention. Now everyone right. is actually focused on God almighty and beseeching him in that moment together. They they really got way okay. more than they bargained for. Didn't they? Yes, they did. And I don't know about you, but when I hear prayer, group prayer, group uh, worship, to me, it just makes me think of, what is it going to be like in heaven, you know, when we're all doing this? It's just, it it gives me chills to hear it, actually, out loud. If we just stop Um, for a second and think about it, well, first of all, none of us will be fat. None of us will have acne. (laughs) None of us will have to worry about food or sleep. We won't be insomniacs. None of us will be sick or infirm. And on top of all of that gloriousness, we will be able to praise God together whenever we want. It's going to be pretty wicked awesome, if I do say so myself. I'm looking forward to it. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Me too. Me too. So what would you say, Nancy, to parents who may be listening to this story and they're thinking, okay, good for them, but, you know, my situation is different because we've got the gender bathroom thing or, you know, we have a teacher who is playing CNN all day in class and, you know, we, we don't like that. What do you encourage people to do based on what these parents have done in this story? Because this is a real-life situation. A real-life situation. Well, first and foremost, I would say go to the board, go to the board with it. Um, there's going to be something more than likely that they can do. It may not be uh, on a big scale, um, but 
but there are ways to handle this. And certainly, we need to think about the Christian response, not um, just getting up in arms and yelling and that sort of thing, but what can we do that represents Christ that is going to um, make a difference uh, to the best of our ability and what we can do. Um, the other thing uh, I would like to point out is that um, this this particular situation with the Freedom from Religion Foundation is it's not an anomaly. I mean, I've got a handful of cases right here um, where they're sending out letter after letter to schools and demanding that they stop praying before football games or that they take down a sign, a uh, cafeteria sign that says, give us this day our daily bread. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're, set, they're coming after prayer. And so what we need to to spread the word, first of all, that, that we need to be aware that this is actually happening in our kids' schools, but also um, the... I talked to Mike Berry from First Liberty. I'm not sure if you're you're probably familiar with them. They're the mm-hmm. uh, law firm um, that is dedicated to helping in these situations. Um, and he he was talking about how we need to be um, understand the establishment clause and understand that just because there's a letter sent out, we don't need to be afraid. They're trying to bully. They're trying to intimidate, and in many cases, schools will back down because they simply don't know the law when we really need to stand up for our freedom, our religious freedom. So just being aware of that and understanding that we don't have to cave. Um, Parents may be going to the board, um, whatever they can do to make sure we know we don't just have to take this at face value. In in fact, one thing that uh, Mr. Berry said uh, was that the Freedom From Religion Foundation, they send out thousands of letters, but they really only have, um, they can really only afford to bring like five to ten cases a year to court. And so um, they're, they're blustery, they're bullying, um, but we just need to understand, you know, first of all, our God is bigger, right? And, um, you know, just be aware of what's going on and aware that the FFRF, they are coming after our kids' schools and prayer in those schools. Uh, Nancy, I am stuck on what you just said. They yeah. send out thousands of letters a year. Now, yes. I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just venture out there and say, if I really wanted to, I could probably, you know, set up a, a foundation and send out thousands of letters a year. A lot of people do it for fundraising. You know what I mean? Like right. it's it's not odd to be able to print letters off and sign them and then right. or put an electronic signature on them and send them out to different places. This this is a, a feature of the electronic right. age that you can do that. But you're saying right. out of all the letters they send, if everyone just mailed back and said no, <laughs> signed mm-hmm. parents, superintendent, whatever that the majority right. of these cases would never, they would never hear from them again, or they might get a second letter, but Correct. that's it because they don't have the yeah. manpower to, to, cause there's thousands, probably hundreds of thousands yeah. of schools in this country. I think yeah. that's an important point for us to make. Yes. Yes, it absolutely is. We need to stand together and, and not cave when the enemy comes at us trying to rob us of our religious freedom. Um, understand that there's a limit to what they can do and we need to stand together. Mm. So you heard it here, guys. So if, if you're listening to this show right now, not an accident. It's not that you just happen to turn the radio on in the car or you just happen to have some time to listen just now. It's because this was meant for you to know or to speak into someone else's, you know, that the, they don't know that this is something that is happening around the country and that this is their shtick. It's, it's not even I won't even call it a tactic because tactics, you got to give respect to tactics, especially when they're executed properly and they work. This is actually just a shtick. It's let's write a bunch of letters. What are they doing? They're praying at bat- football games. They don't really care. They just don't right. want you to have any fun. I call them the Freedom from Fun Foundation because right. anytime people are enjoying themselves, they come along and they're like, you can't have a nativity scene. That's public property. Take it down. Correct. You know, It's that kind of stuff. You can't get together right. and pray before a game like it hurts anything. It's not hurting anything. Right. And and right. if people are having fun and smiling, why why not? As, as often as we see people fighting and really backbiting each other, why not? I want you to mm-hmm. take that information 
and go forth. This is not an organization that is all powerful or infallible or, or even to be afraid of. And if they decide to pick a fight with you, you named off a legal organization. There are others, aren't there, Nancy, that, that, yes. that uh, defend? Share about that. Yes, there, there are several organizations. First Liberty is the nation's biggest uh, nonprofit. They do it for free, uh, representing those who are being attacked, um, the religious liberties are being attacked. And so this is all they do. This is all they focus on. I'm ready for it. We should be girded up and prepared and knowing Mm -hmm. that they're going to come for our religious freedom. And we should be standing firmly and saying, you're welcome to come over here, but you're not getting any religious freedom from over here because we're going to keep it and maintain it. We have every right to be religious in public schools. You have a right to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. I'm so inspired by the story. I'm so inspired by these people and their upbeat attitude and how they just were like going down. Yeah, this is wonderful, wonderful news. Um, Nancy Flory, associate editor at The Stream. Thank you for your work that you do over there. It's thestream.org. Thank Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, sure. Let's uh, talk again soon. Uh, Yeah. Get energized. Get energized, guys. And, And I know... Um, I know you know what I mean. Like we can get discouraged and we can feel overwhelmed. And there's been a few times this week where I've just been like, you know, you, you know, you just get kind of, you read another news story and you feel dejected. You're like, mm, ah, more, more of that, you know? Well, that is in the natural and it is normal for us to get to that place, you know, but, but it's not our resting place. It's a little, you know, quick, don't even stop there. Just keep it moving. And these parents with the T-shirts, see, this, that, that's my thing. Okay, I'll tell you guys, I'll admit it. At our kids' last school, I was the T-shirt mom. And it wasn't like anybody asked me to do it. I just noticed that the T-shirts that were being sold to wear to the basketball games and the track meets and stuff for the parents, they just weren't fun to me. So I took the school logo and a couple of ideas, and I just... I just had a few t-shirts made and they were so cute that other people wanted them. And so I was kind of like the t-shirt mom where I'd take orders over to the t-shirt shop and pick them up. And parents started wearing these shirts and people would ask, they're like, where'd you get that cute shirt? And they're like, oh, Stacy ordered it from someplace. And then we did a Teespring order and raised a little bit of money for the school, uh, getting t-shirts for the dads because the moms only had shirts. <laughs> so the dads wanted some. And so I, I really, I identify with this story when it comes to talking about you, not only are you saying we're going to pray out loud together in unison because you told us we couldn't, we're also going to wear shirts. So just in case someone shows up to the game late and they miss the Lord's prayer, when they look at our shirt, they'll see it and they'll know something's up and we'll get to talk about it. And then they'll get to know and be outraged and buy a shirt and be with us and be there early next time so they can pray too. That's how you get it done. And I know not every situation is conducive to T-shirt ordering, but certainly we can take some inspiration from this and really go forward with more, doing more, being, being just when we're happy about the, the way that we smack down evil, it, it makes it more pleasurable for us. It actually increases our ability to then prepare and gird up for the next encounter which we always know there's going to be another one where people are always going to have, well, I can't believe they're allowed to, you know, she's got her Bible at school. The Bible is permitted at school. It can't be a curriculum item, but you can have the Bible at school and you can read it. Kids are allowed to read their Bibles at school. They're also allowed to meet at a lunch table and read their Bibles together. As long as there is no teacher doing it, they're allowed to participate and do those kinds of things. We can't let this continuation of, secularism to drive us out of the public square. Look at the result. School shootings, mass shootings, increases in people who they come here to commit acts of terrorism. All of the sexual traffic trafficking that's going on. Do you think that's coincidental to the fact that we've driven God out of the public or do you think it's a feature of us pushing God out of the public? It's something. All right. When we get back, we're going to talk about Barnes and Nobles exploring a sale with a special committee and more. We'll take your calls. Stay there.
This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Are you a worrier? Is fear a constant companion? Well, there's a solution for that. It's prayer and scripture memorization. It has become vogue to cattily mock people who pray. The mockers have no understanding of God. Just a few of God's attributes describe him as our high tower, refuge, holy, alpha and omega, hope of glory, day star, and bright hope. These descriptors are a comfort to the believer. God is right here and operating on our behalf. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Fear has no place in the life of a believer, but as humans, we will experience fear. Psalm 19 tells us that memorizing scripture makes us wise while refreshing the soul. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. Y'all have encouraged us to go out, stand for the Word of God, stand politically. It's truly a blessing to hear how God is using Urban Family Talk. Just want to say I love everything that Urban Family does. Will you take a moment to share your story? Call 877-327-5647. That's 877-327-5647. Thanks. Hi, I'm Anthony. I had goals and passions. You know, I wanted to be an architect when I grew up, but my addiction really stole everything. I came to Teen Challenge with $1.75 in my pocket. I feel like I'm not even a person who I was. My life got transformed. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. What you get for your money. Living paycheck to paycheck, it's likely you're not cutting back in areas you easily could. So what will you get for your money if you cut back, cut down, or cut it out in certain areas? You're fired. First, look at your job. Are you being paid enough? Are you in a long-term growth industry? Are you staying too long in your current position? Forbes magazine recently published a study that found workers who stay in companies longer than two years may get paid up to 50% less than a worker who job hops for upward mobility. You've heard of cutting the cord on cable, cutting back on coffee, or other cuts in creature comforts. But ever thought of cutting out your car payment by paying it off and driving it longer? The savings would be substantial. And finally, follow the 50-30-20 rule. Limit your fixed living expenses to 50%, 30% to entertainment, and 20% to savings. You might be surprised how quickly you won't be living paycheck to paycheck anymore. That's what you get for your money. I'm Derek Dennis, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Shares of Barnes & Noble jumping more than 20% after the bookseller announced it is reviewing bids to sell the company. Barnes & Noble saying it has already received offers. I'm just checking the enterprise value. This could be about less than a $2 billion deal. That market, basically the shareholder value of that has been going down the last three years. Well, that is interesting. I, don't, I know if you have any readers at your house, between the library and the used booksellers, you end up sometimes going to Barnes & Noble. And I, what I do is if I need a book and I need it the same day, um, I will go to Barnes and & Noble's and, and pick it up if it's something that's a new release, especially when we have a last-minute booking of an author and I need to get their books so I can try to get it read or at least uh, the majority of it under my belt before I speak to them. And so it's really interesting to see that um, this this they're, they're not able to withstand the onslaught. And they were the ones who really pushed small booksellers out of business. So the same thing that they precipitated years ago when they came to prominence is now happening to them. And Amazon is the culprit. So it's really interesting to see. Um, and now I want to talk about something that I, I thought was just brilliant. So we've got Larry O'Connor, you know, is a friend of the show, a wonderful, wonderful writer. Um, and he actually talked about well before we get to that before we get to the Kavanaugh effect the next Andrew Breitbart is watching I want to talk about this poll that Axios reported on Claire McCaskill 
And the, the reason why I keep coming back to the, the swing races is not because, you know, I think everyone in the audience is, is hailing from Missouri, obviously not, but Missouri is a bellwether state. And from the, the amount of money and attention from outside of the state that's being paid to this race, you can tell that this solid and reliable vote for Democrats, if it flips and becomes a solid, reliable vote for the Republicans, then we're talking about the actual repeal of Obamacare. We're talking about a lot of different things that can happen. It's not a done deal, but for the first time, there's been some interesting movement in the race. And again, we have invited her on the show. She has not uh, even replied. Josh Hawley opened up an eight-point lead over Democrat Claire McCaskill. This is the first time he's been ahead of her by a significant, beyond the margin of error. So... Axios reported that top Republicans told them they're seeing a surprising and widespread surge in GOP voter enthusiasm, powered largely by support for Brett Kavanaugh and his Supreme Court nomination. The Kavanaugh debate has dropped a political grenade into the middle of an electorate that had been largely locked in Democrats' favor for the past six months. Josh Holmes is a former top aide to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Pointing to Montana, Indiana, um, and West Virginia, Missouri, Tennessee, Holmes said private polling shows the enthusiasm shift is unmistakable in the red states that will determine control of the Senate. In North Dakota, one of the top races, a Fox News poll yesterday, showed Republican challenger Kevin Kramer leading Senator Heidi Heitkamp by 12 points, 53 percent to 41, up from just four points last month. North Dakota now appears largely out of reach entirely out of reach for Democrats. Another stark example is Missouri Rising Action, a super PAC backing Republican Josh Hawley. They got that their numbers from Jim McLaughlin showing Hawley leading Senator Claire McCaskill by 52 to 44. That's a huge swing from the previous poll in June, which had McCaskill leading Hawley 46 to 42. Whoa. Whoa. So then also, if you head over to social media, uh, definitely hit the follow button for me over at Stacy on the right on Twitter and Instagram. You've got Susan Collins and Senator Collins are the number one and two trending unpaid items on the Twitter. Maine is trending. Sen.Collins. So the abbreviation is trending. Uh, we're talking about what looks like a quarter of a million tweets about her and and her decision to vote for. Um, you know, the, the, the nominee, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted. Um, okay. So Brooke Singman is reporting that, so Senator Danes is the one who is, his wife is actually, um, not his wife, his daughter. So Senator Danes, his daughter is getting married the day of the vote, which is Saturday. And so he has said, you know, he's not going to miss walking his daughter down the aisle to cast his vote, but he's a yes for Kavanaugh. So Greg Gianforte has come to save the day. If I need to be in two places at once to walk my daughter down the aisle on her wedding day and to be the final vote to put Judge Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, he's offered me use of his plane. And that's what I was thinking. Will someone with a private plane allow him to walk his daughter down the aisle, zip home to vote or zip to, to the Senate to vote and then go back to dance with the festivities and everything. I have to agree as much as I hate the fact that the, that there's this conflict, there wouldn't be anything that could keep me away from one of my children getting married, even something as momentous as this. So this is fantastic. Um, so I believe that puts the nomination firmly in passage, which is, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty wonderful. Um, pretty wonderful. So answered prayer, but we still need to keep praying because tomorrow is another day and tomorrow is the day of the vote. So we, we really must be in prayer for the safety of all of the senators, Democrats and Republicans and the process and for the Capitol police who have such a difficult job. Um, so now let's talk about this, this article. It's over at the Washington Times. And it's written by Larry O'Connor. And at the top, it has this picture of a young Judge Clarence Thomas 
giving the same kind of pointed defense of his record that we saw Judge Kavanaugh give. And this is an opinion piece, obviously. He starts off by talking about Andrew Breitbart, who actually got to meet him a few times. I had dinner with him here in St. Louis one time years ago. And um, he was definitely an individual character, like someone that we often say, you'll never meet anyone like him. He was like that. It was like once you'd met him, you'd never forget it. So there's a little bit of history here that that Larry O'Connor shares because Larry knew him very well. They'd been friends for years. And I guess something that maybe I didn't know, which is that Andrew Breitbart, in addition to growing up in California and having a real kind of just liberal upbringing, and he says his default was Democrat. He also got a American history degree at Tulane University. He was still a liberal there. He grew up in Brentwood, West Los Angeles, and this was just the way of the world. Like kind of like for me and, and my family, my parents were Democrats, and uh, my ex- all my extended family, save for a couple, were Democrats. And there just wasn't any uh, any thought of like being a Republican. It just wasn't even talked about. And so here you have. Larry O'Connor describing how, you know, that he's graduated from Tulane and then all of a sudden there's this um, sexual harassment allegation made against Clarence Thomas and he immediately assumed that Clarence Thomas was guilty because he was a Republican. And so he went on, Andrew Breitbart did, to take some time. He watched day one. He watched day two. He watched the entire thing. And you can watch this interview with Andrew Breitbart on C-SPAN, because he actually spoke about this on C-SPAN. He said, I went from wanting him to be taken down to saying, where's the beef? What's going on here? He said, I don't understand what I'm watching here. I don't understand the color commentary that's on the screen where they're saying, oh, this is outrageous. And I didn't understand the bumper stickers that were going by me on the street saying, I believe Anita. I believe Anita what? What's going on here? He said, He wasn't only unmoved by the laughable allegations, but he was also dumbfounded by the experts, pundits, and journalists proclaiming to the world that what we were hearing was so outrageous and disqualifying that Judge Thomas should be removed from consideration for the nation's highest court. He and most other Americans could see that that they could see through the partisan efforts of the media and political class who didn't pause for a moment of reflection before trying to destroy a good man's reputation for the sole purpose of keeping him and his unacceptable political ideology from sitting on the Supreme Court. He said, I don't understand how Ted Kennedy, the Ted Kennedy of Chappaquiddick fame, how Howard Metzenbaum and Joe Biden, a series of privileged white men, could sit in judgment of this man who was the son of grandparents who were sharecroppers who raised him. He went to Yale Law School. He did everything right. I did not understand how it could be that these white men of privilege were attacking this black man who was in this historic position while the mainstream media was taking him down. He says, sound familiar? Much has been said of the Kavanaugh effect and how this tawdry melodrama will translate to votes in November's midterms. But Larry O'Connor posits that there is a longer, the possibility of a longer lasting Kavanaugh effect that the left and the media are not even considering. Like Breitbart in 1991, millions of Americans have witnessed a handful of Democrats willing to take down and destroy Brett Kavanaugh in the same setting for the same reason. Judge Kavanaugh, like Judge Thomas, went to Yale Law School and did everything right. With Judge Thomas, they were painting him as a sex-starved pervert. With Judge Kavanaugh, no less than a gang rapist. And it was fair game because, after all, Roe v. Wade hangs in the balance. And like the Thomas hearings, the media are the full and willing partners of this character assassination. Millions of Americans are watching. How many of them are the next Andrew Breitbart? You see, Breitbart not only walked away from the Democrats because of this event, but he was also radicalized by it. He did not become just a conservative Republican. He became an activist. He dedicated his life to exposing the political left as well as the mainstream media, He called it the Democrat media complex and expose it he did. He built an empire and in so doing, he personally inspired multitudes who took up his musket when he tragically fell in 2012. He goes on to name off a lot of people who were directly influenced and encouraged and discovered by Breitbart. 
Thousands more were inspired to walk toward the fire and engage in the fight through blogs, social media, new media, podcasts, and YouTube. And none of it would have happened without the Democrats' gambit against Judge Thomas in 1991. How many of tomorrow's Breitbarts are watching today? How many will be inspired by what they see? How many will be radicalized by it? Does the Democrat media complex never learn? Do they have any idea what they've unleashed? War. And something similar is over at the conservative treehouse where they talk about the silent burning rage of Americans who are watching as their cities become liberal pits, really cesspools of the worst kinds of degradation and human suffering that should not be a feature of American life. And I will just add to this that because it's so well written and it's such a fantastic analysis of what's happening. And I said myself earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, that Judge Kavanaugh himself, in my opinion, may have been radicalized by this this event, by this whole series of events. In the same way that so many people who are a part of the walk away movement have really seen a side to a political party that they once happily were a part of, that they took part in and felt was honorable and something that they could really feel a sense of pride about. And they walked away or they've simply silently just said, I'm, I'm not a part of that anymore because of the antics and the, the just really the worst kinds of malicious behavior, spiteful, vindictive, hate-filled actions that harm other people who seek to serve the public in office and the hateful actions that harm those of us in the private sector, those of us who, you know, for nothing else have just gotten on the wrong side of some liberal or some liberal organization like the parents in that Alabama school district. They just got a letter. They prevailed. But how many others suffer in silence that didn't prevail? Like Brendan Ike lost his job at Mozilla, a company he founded. He created that company and was tossed aside summarily because he dared to give privately a donation of his own personal funds to the defense of marriage in California. And so many others who've lost their livelihood or had to go on with, you know, having their characters defamed because they dared to tell the truth about some issue. I remember one of Andrew Breitbart's favorite sayings was war. He had a hashtag called war. And he was one of the people who, you know, he didn't pull any punches. He could be very, very, you know, it was, it was, you think Trump was something on Twitter? Andrew Breitbart was well ahead of that game. And I think one of the things that we have to really consider is if we're going to have an impact, how we have to be willing to pick up our sword as well. I gave a speech about that a few years ago, and I encouraged people to pick up their sword, but not to harm others, not to not to do anything that would make you ashamed, not to break laws, not to hurt, but pick up your sword in defense of our Christian founding, in defense of your religious liberty, in defense of the lives of the unborn, in defense of truth and honor and the rule of law, innocent until proven guilty. Pick up your sword. Good night from the heartland. God bless you. Be back with you on Monday.